This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. Welcome to Spidey's 16th Minute. I'm one of your hosts, Spencer Pratt, sitting across from my angel wife, Heidi Montag, as she's known on all social media accounts because we tried Pratt and it just didn't have the hits we were looking for. So... Nobody she, could find me. She will be Heidi Montag <laughs> probably forever. And I'm sure dad is very happy about that because, mm-hmm. you know, he loves cloud as much as we do. Shout out, Bill. Um, so today we have a very special guest, somebody that 10 years ago I actually tried to do a podcast series with. But I think, he, you know, he had too much college work to do and so much going on that we only did our first episode. And that is... Matt, who runs, uh, we're not sure how active it is. We'll get into it. But at one time, a very active Tumblr account Mm -hmm. that then also had tweets that also then had an Instagram, which was pop culture died in 2009. And why I love the account so much is the profile photo. (laughs) Monthly challenge. I just hit all my rigs. Sorry. Um, The profile photo for all the accounts is me wearing a cowboy hat that your dad actually gave me Mm -hmm. uh, from the hills. So for many years, people thought I was running the account, which I hope people still think that because it's a very intelligent, um, well-researched 
account. And that's why I wanted to do a podcast because Matt is an actual expert in my favorite era, the time we were famous, besides our current 16th minute here on Spotify Ringer podcast. (laughs) Hello, honey. Hello. It's so funny to listening to the podcast that you did with him years ago and him saying the reason he had a deep dive into, as he said, uh, washed up reality stars or whatever his exact thing was because his parents had it on the house. So I wonder if his parents were obviously reality TV fans or what the, we have to ask about that. All I know is his mom said that um, David Letterman was very rude to me. And so I obviously love his mom. Well, let's do our own deep dive into the early 2000s and talk about club life what that was what that meant to you at the time we separately had club lives it's so funny we didn't run into each other more for the I think first I was you know usually in the VIP section and and I don't know I never I, saw you there I don't know I don't know what I don't know where never you were saw you we had in these the velvet ropes mm. I don't know if you could get past never those. saw you there I don't think you were old enough to be in the club actually I was oh yeah there's food served I not saying I was drinking. Oh, so you were just you were having pasta and, at certain and places, bread and just hanging out where there were kitchens. So the, the experience I had mm-hmm. actually the first time I ever got into a club was actually thanks to Tara Reed when she was popping, and Brody was kind of seeing her sister. So I don't know if they like hooked up or if the sister was her sister was just cool and like was letting us get tag on at the cloud of. Tara. Is she younger or older than Terry? Younger. She was like our age, my age. You're, you're quite young. And she got us into, ah, Brody would remember the name, but like the hottest spot popping. You weren't there, honey. Spider Club? No, that was a different night, but mm. Spider Club was basic. Yeah, um, okay. So that was the other. Mm. Brody and I once stood in line actually at Spider Club for like a solid hour. Get in. That's all okay. I mean. yes. So it was <laughs> popping. It was very big then. Hater. Um, all right. Out of wait, Ladue wait, Hyde. No. What's the first club you ever went to in Hollywood? Oh, that's a great question. Um, Lauren and I, I was staying at her house in Laguna Beach for that summer. And it was before we moved up to LA. We were about to move to LA. And we met Talon because Talon was hanging out with, I think, Ashley Simpson at the time or some. He, yeah, because he had Ashley, Joe Simpson managing him. So he was in the height of fame. He was hanging out with Lindsay Lohan. He was hanging out with like all the it Hollywood people. So from the Laguna Beach crew, he was actually the one who was in with the famous crowd in LA, which was interesting. And then, um, we were with Jason Waller. I think him and Lauren were on and off or something. So we went with them and Frankie Delgado. I think that's the first night I met Frankie Delgado was the first night that we went out to a club in LA. You don't remember which club it was? And I think it was Spider Club. It was either that one or which was the one right like across from it, you know, in that area. Joseph's? Yeah, Joseph's. Oh, so it was either Joseph's or... Spider I feel like club. at that time it was always like talked about like oh Justin Timberlake's a part owner of this like I never knew if any of that was true but like I'd always yeah. hear like 
I guess, I mean, they probably did have cuts of these spaces back then, but I, I feel like he did supposedly have ownership of that. I don't know. So I just saw Jen uh-huh. who worked for Brent or not work. Now they're partners. I think I they were old. They're always partners. Yeah, I oh, thought so. so. I just saw, I see her at Erewhon all the time and I keep quizzing her and she says they invented that. The, you know, the, so they were the first influencer type of event like that was pre-influencer they created red carpets that had parties with a product or a brand launch and i mean some of my still favorite memories of the fact we got paid to go to anything and then get a check to like stand with like a was that a PlayStation? That was one of our biggest, that boxing and the game. the boxing, oh that was so gosh. great. The good old days. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, that was just such a fun era. So anyways, back to the Hollywood clubs. Every night was a certain club. So it was like Thursday is Spider Club, you know, Wednesday is Hyde. And then the weekends were actually like off. Nobody went out on the weekends that I remember. Yo, you're live on our podcast. What back in the 2000s, what were the nights of the clubs? We're trying to remember like what night was Element? What night, like what was the breakdown? Oh, shit. Uh, Mondays was Joseph's. Remember, remember Joseph's? Yeah. Tuesdays, I think, was Element. Wednesdays was Ledoux. Thursdays was Teddy's when it or also, and then Fridays we did lobby, or Tuesdays we also did privilege back in the day. Yeah, I don't know if you remember privilege. That's where I met Heidi. But, uh, really? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, and then and then uh, Saturdays was well, Brick and I were doing Little Hyde. Remember the one, the original Hyde? Hi, oh, I, I hit you up. You welcome home. All right. All right. Wait. Thanks, brother. So that was such a good memory. That was <laughs> that was Nick Montalegro. And when I met, when you met Frankie, while you were like doing the club thing with Frankie, Brody and I met Nick and Brick, mm-hmm. and they were like a different promoter team. And then right as we did first day, we did the Prince of Malibu. Like we had our sizzle. Somehow Brody met Frankie, and he brought him out to Malibu, and we showed Frankie. Uh, the sizzle, and then we started hanging out with Frankie. So that's what's so funny. Like, we were all saying, I'm Frankie, and you were hanging out with Frankie, but that never connected. I guess there was a lot of club nights that, you know, maybe you went Tuesday and I went Wednesday. But I feel like the early 2000s in the club is going to be how nostalgic people were in like the 60s and the discos, you know? So people still reference that and that time, and that was so fun. But this was the end of an era for so many reasons, because there was no social media. There were no cell phones. Nobody had cell phones in the club. I mean, you couldn't like record somebody. So there was such privacy and such secrecy of what was going on. Unless you were in that club, you have no idea who is there, what is happening, what is the music, what does it even look like? So unless you were in Ledoux or watch the Hills later, you couldn't know. And you didn't know what the VIP section was unless you were in the VIP section. So it really compartmentalized that experience for the people who were there. Yeah. I mean, like 
it's so true. Like, and they were so cool. Like you go yeah. in, you're like, oh my yeah. god, and the music was so good at that time. It was, you know, there were just so many hits. Yeah, and, and it wasn't as dangerous. Like I feel like now the world is so different, but I feel like then it was like more. You never heard of incidents happening, and. There were A-list people everywhere. I mean, Justin Timberlake was in the, like all these people yeah, peak, were not, there. Like, not Justin Timberlake now, respectfully, like a sexy back Justin Timberlake. Right, right. Freaking. Like A-list like, superstars where then you heard like, oh, Leonardo DiCaprio was there. Whether he was there or not, there was rumors of whoever it was being there. And you had like, that was the era of Paris Hilton and Britney Spears and Lindsay Lohan, these it girls who were just running Hollywood and the paparazzi out front, there were 20 paparazzi. 50. Yeah. So it would just light up everything. Everyone's making money every night. There's no Ubers. Nobody's taking taxis. There's hardly any drivers. Like what a different place in time. It was just a good thing we walked everywhere. Yeah. It was great a, being a bicycle in. I rode that, yeah. that tandem one. Yeah. But that was just so wild. That's why all these girls, they were getting DUIs and they followed them. And that also ignited all that because it's like everybody knows who that person just had a bottle in there. And then they got in their car with all the paparazzi. It's like entrapment. Totally. And then those paparazzi they are going to get the photos out of it. The sheriff's like, hey, yeah. And then we're waiting for those shots. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's fascinating how wealthy. Paris was at the time that she didn't have a driver. All of them. No, but I mean, like, you know, she grew up on the West Side. You know, it's interesting. Her parents didn't see that one coming. Yeah. I, but I don't know those... if she got a DUI. It wasn't hers for something else. I don't know. I don't know. She likes my posts, so I can't be talking anymore about her right now. I always keep those little hearts on my, in my comment section. Um, so, yeah. Getting a little sad. <laughs> I guess a little depressing. Did you ever go out to the clubs in New York at this time? Uh, Did you and Brody ever go there? Well, we once, I I feel like when Mandy Moore invited us to New York and Brody didn't want to go for some reason, of course, I'm going for a free trip. And I think I went out to the club in New York. Oh, you went without Brody. You yeah. just went to New York by yourself. I have yes. Oh, good. I yeah. was like, and they wait, flew you? I don't I'm pretty sure they got the plane ticket. I don't see myself having the the funds at that time just be like, I'm gonna fly to New York right now. Huh. Where'd you stay? A hotel. And they paid for your hotel? I'm pretty sure. Wow, you were a special I was a lot of guess. Were you dating anymore? Not at all, but I was a lot of fun. Was she single? She was single. Nothing huh. happened at all. I'm not implying anything happened. I was more just like a fun person to have. That you are them, very fun. You know, I was like a, it's like hiring a party, like a, like a clown at a party, like oh. kind of very handsome, young, uh, entertaining. It was just charming. Uh, no, it was more like oh, Spencer's fun to drink with. Oh. And I think Brody was supposed to be the one. And then since he didn't go, it's like, <laughs> I'm coming. <laughs> I still want yeah. my ticket. I'm at the airport. Oh, my gosh. I'm, yeah. Well, I remember when I saw when we met and then we stopped dating. I mean, we weren't, you know, whatever. And then I saw Brody at the VMAs in New York with Nicole Richie. Yeah, but you weren't there. I yeah. I think. It, he was just a little too much for her. Like we both, I'm just saying like we were, that was peak. She was so professional. Yeah, I think she I got, see. I don't know if this is a secret, but I think 
she had her first drinks ever with us. Oh. Sat at the Palmier. Did we meet her in Cabo? Yeah, Is that we what met happened? Her, yeah, we met her at the Palmia. Oh, and you just got, you guys went up to her and we're like, hey. Yeah. Are you Mandy Moore? Yeah. <laughs> and then I think oh my we gosh. just got her a drink of margarita and like, that was maybe the first time she'd ever drank. And it gosh, so she really fun. was like her movie, that that Christian movie. Yeah, like, but just like very so. straight edge. And she had Raina with her. Oh, yes. That's how we met. So before Matt joins us, because mm-hmm. this, you know, this is big news, can we take you back to the most magical time of your entire life? At Club Privilege, mm-hmm. you were on the dance floor. This is on the corner of what? Crescent Heights and Sunset Boulevard? Sounds right. No? I don't know. Right there. Right it's around there. And then you were just dancing. You turn around and you see me. It's <laughs> kind of how it happened. Why don't you explain your side? We always hear my side. That's my side. I just saw your incredible dances. You had you was that Were you introduced to me? What happened? I think I was just pointed at you. It was like pointed. That's Heidi. Yeah. Yeah. And you were just at the center of the dance floor, you're just performing. Mm -hmm. Um so yeah, I went out that night with Mm -hmm. Brody and Kristen Cavallari, Brody Jenner, and Heidi was already there at Club Privilege, dancing it up. And we just started dancing. Just had so much fun, and it was love at first sight. No, really. What was your first impression? I. That's what I remember. Uh huh. I remember. Oh, oh love! Gosh, I heard love. So I'm gonna marry this girl. So that I is thought, not true. Right when I like, I was like, "This is tell the truth. This is it. I'm gonna it's, get married." It's not true. <laughs> what do you mean? It's not true. It's not even a remote. Com- All right, I'll tell you what happened. So. I asked Kristen Cavallari if there was anyone she knew if she had a friend for me. Um, And she's like, no, I don't. And then I saw her at the club and you guys were there. And she's like, actually, I think there's this guy Spencer you would really like. And then she pointed me to you and you had all these like playmates around you. You don't know they're playmates just because women have blonde hair at the time does not make them playmates. They were. They were playmates or aspiring playmates. It was a whole thing. They were the first one. Whatever. You could say... Attractive women. They wanted to be playmates. They were at the mansion. They were at the mansion. You're just making this up. No, I'm not. Okay. So, anyways, they were your entourage. Um. So, anyways, I saw you, and for me, it was definitely more love at first sight. And I thought you were like so funny and smart. Just on the dance floor, attractive. Well, no, we were talking too. We were flirting. See, you don't remember any of it. I know. I'm trying to. So yeah, in the loud club, and then what were you talking about? I, I that I don't remember. Oh, you don't remember anything. I remember exactly what I was wearing. What were you wearing? I was wearing a halter top from Forever Twenty One that had butterflies on it, and I actually had my hair in side braids because I was like, I'm not gonna see anyone tonight. Like I just like kind of went out last minute, and yeah, so that's what I was wearing, and then. We went back to Malibu together with Brody and then we dated on and off and then we had off time and then we started dating a few months later. The rest is history. Wow. But we met in the club at Privilege. It's just, and which is now Hyde. Yeah. Thankfully it's still 
people are still, still finding there. love on that dance floor. In the VIP section. Were we the VIP section? Of course we were. I, don't, <laughs> I, was think, there too. I don't think there was a VIP. Yes, there was. Those tables up in the, those were all the, the VIP booths uh, in the corner. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I dot com slash Simmons. Dun, da, da, da. Drum roll. We have our guest here. Matt, the legend. Pop culture died in 2009, but today it has a 16th minute. <laughs> Thank you, Matt, for, you know, I'm sorry. I don't know, but I don't feel like you do too many podcasts. I feel like you are a big get in the podcast world. Am I wrong or it's, you know, you're pretty. I make special exceptions there, for Spidey. There it is. Um, so before we even start, are you, are you on a little hiatus? Cause you haven't posted since like January, right? On the Instagram. Yeah. I love the Instagram. I have a few things cooking. I'm, I'm planning something. So oh. truth in time tells all. So as a wise man once said, so stay tuned. Oh, you're, you're Cooking, you're in a cocoon. Maybe you got a movie coming. You're transforming. Out. A little, little Netflix docu. I mean, I'll tune in. Um, how did you graduate college? Last time we talked, you were a freshman in college. Yes, and I am currently back and pursuing a new career. So that is where I am at right now. Not too exciting. Nothing really glamorous or interesting about that, but. <laughs> you never know where life takes you. So for the audience who doesn't know, you started as a Tumblr page in 2013. Did I make that up? Yeah. Uh, when I was uh, 14 or 15 years old. So it was 2013 that fall is when I had started the account on Tumblr. 
And it was because your parents loved to watch washed up reality <laughs> TV stars and you were kind of forced to, you know, be around that, as I recall. A little of that. It, it was a little of everything. So I think since I, I was born in 98, so I was a little kid during uh, the 2000s and there were celebrities coming from every direction possible and everyone in my family uh brought a different uh, set of celebrities and pop culture to the table. So my dad, he loved the Howard Stern show. He'd listen to that all the time. Uh, he loved all of the bombshells and the porn stars and people like that. So I was familiar with women like Jenna Jameson and so on. And my mom, she was a lifelong subscriber to the tabloids, us people, stars. So she since she was a kid, she followed all the big stars, be it Tom Cruise or Madonna, JFK Jr., all that. My older sister was a teenager, so she was the prime demographic for like you guys, The Hills, Reality TV, The It Girls, Perez Hilton, everyone in that set. And then I absorbed a little of all of that. Do you feel like, I'm sure you do, I don't know if it's annoying or not, but now... Like I follow so many accounts that they're great accounts, but respectfully, they're just like what you've been doing since 2013. Yeah, they'll have like more of a little bit of a niche focus, but how ahead of the game you really were on realizing this era was the most entertaining for fame and, you know, creating content for it or curating it because I don't know if you noticed, there's a lot of accounts now on TikTok, IG. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I notice. And um, a lot of them, uh, well, I think the difference between what they do and I do is nostalgia is cyclical. So every error will always be attracted to the error, the error before that or, or so on. So like in the 2000s, there was sort of an 80s revival. There was a lot of 80s music uh, coming back in this uh, niche, ironic way. There was a lot of 80s style trends that were worming their way into the fashion world. A lot of 80s stars were coming back on shows like The Surreal Life. In the 2010s, there was a 90s revival. And, you know, you went on Tumblr during those years and you would see Friends and the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and Nirvana and all that. And uh, grunge making a little bit of a comeback. So it was natural that the 2000s would come back around around this time. But I think a lot of people are just attracted to the, the common nostalgia, the movies, the music, the fashion, and so on. I've always been fascinated by this specific Hollywood aspect. When I was a kid, I remember shows like Mysteries and Scandals, Each True Hollywood Story, uh, Behind the Music, stuff like that. And I was always fascinated, not just by uh, the contemporary era of Hollywood and those celebrities I was seeing in the current magazines, but the ones 40, 50 years earlier. So I've always been fascinated uh, by Hollywood and Hollywood history. But I think when I started, nobody was really paying attention to preserving and archiving that particular period of Lindsay and Brittany and Paris and so on, because they didn't think it was worth it. They didn't consider them in the same way that the average person would consider a Marilyn Monroe or an Elizabeth Taylor. So do you think that pop culture died in 2009? 
I do. I think a lot of people always ask where that comes from. And they ask if it has something to do with Michael Jackson. And I always have to tell them, no, I didn't really care about Michael Jackson. So hate, hate to burst bubbles, but I always built it on the idea that there was a monoculture. We were all plugged into the same, uh, cultural objects, the same TV shows, movies, music, celebrities with the advent and the omnipresence of social media going into the 2010s, all of our lives and all of our interests and tastes become much more fractured. So now you go on Instagram, you'll see somebody with 10 million followers and to another person in the world, that is a huge, huge celebrity to you. You probably never heard of them. And there are so many cases like that. There are so many uh, shows that are supposedly popular. So many movies that are supposedly popular. Everything is just this niche object now, as opposed to before where everyone was following the same culture. This so, is that's exactly I use what, as the yeah. point. That's, that's why we yeah. have a 16th minute. <laughs> that's what Peter Grossman, we had him on before too. And that's exactly what he was saying. So he was saying at that moment, no one will ever care about the split and the love triangle between Brad, Angelina, um, and Jen, because everybody was invested in that story at the moment, like you're saying. So it's everyone in the world had their eyes and investment in the same thing. And that's so true. How fractured everyone's interests and in TikTok. Do you have a TikTok? I made one. I I've tried to understand it. It's just, there's so much going on. Yeah. Yeah. I would think that that would all, that would be so good for yeah, when you do start posting, now that you can do slideshows, you could just do how you do like the five slides on IG. You could just post those as like photo slides on TikTok. Just yeah, I really need to since every like now and then somebody will send me a video from TikTok or or YouTube, and it's this person recounting this particular moment in uh, tabloid history, and it it was something I wrote when I was in high school ten years ago on my blog. It was just word for word, beat for beat. So on one hand, it's, it's, it's a bit frustrating, but on the other, I guess I'm flattered that it has this, uh, influence, this lasting legacy of sorts. What was your dream with pop culture diet in 2009? Like what was your aspirations at the moment? Is it, was it just fun? Is it something that you wanted to be like a just Jared or build a career off of what is your interest and how did that parlay for you? It's a bit weird and I, I'll try not to be boring about it. But when I was a kid, I wanted to be a filmmaker. Movies have always been the first great passion in my life. And the celebrity culture was an extension of that in many ways, it just enriched the experience. It just gave me another way of looking at uh, the movies and the process. But I've always wanted to be in the film business and when I was a kid, there was still that uh, leftover glamour of the old days. There was still the, the idea of a red carpet and the flashing lights and all of that, uh, which you guys had the chance to experience. And I had always dreamed of that to, to an extent. But when I got older and once I was entering high school, things had really begun to change. Social media had become a big factor. And all of a sudden that glamour and that uh, allure and that mystery of Hollywood and what it meant to be a part of it had washed away. And also, I think the film 
industry had just become a, a little, well, I just don't like many movies now. So I'll, I'll put it like that, but that was always what I had wanted to do. And when I had started the blog, it was only really just something to do in my free time. Originally, it wasn't even supposed to be dedicated to the 2000s. One of the biggest stories to me when I was a kid that I was obsessed with and I had followed religiously um, was the Phil Spector murder trial, which I, I bring it up sometimes to people. And nobody ever knows what I'm talking about since barely anyone remembers who Phil Spector is anymore, or let alone that he was tried for murder. But I was obsessed with that story because to me, it embodied so many of these uh dark and glamorous and mysterious traits about Hollywood. You had the, the crazed producer living in a literal castle on the outskirts of LA. You had the beautiful blonde actress who had tragically, you know, met her end. And following the trial, I had just become so obsessed with it. And when I had created my Tumblr in 2013, originally, it was called Brentwood Blondes because during the Phil Spector trial, the, the woman at the center of it, the actress Lana Clarkson, whom he had killed, was supposed to be in this play called Brentwood Blondes about tragic blondes. Marilyn Monroe, Sharon Tate, uh, Nicole Brown Simpson, blondes that had been murdered. She had been fired from that play shortly before she had ended up being murdered. And when I created the Tumblr, it was initially going to be about just tragic blondes, which isn't an, an entirely new concept, but it was just something that had always fascinated me. I mean, Helter Skelter was one of my favorite books when I was a kid and stuff like that. But then a few weeks later, I was thinking to myself on the school bus, pop culture died in 2009. And that phrase just popped into my head and I stuck with it, but it was always just really a, a hobby for me. And I never really had any uh, grand ideas about it. Have you made merch yet? Like I want that hoodie. <laughs> so how did wait, you, no, I, I have one to know for real. Okay. Um, how did you no, think wait, of having have Spencer? You made, wait, have you made merch? No, but I, I, people, okay. People always approach me to do things like that. They're like, okay, we want to help you brand. We want to, you know, do this, do that. I, I've had people approach me with a reality TV offers. I, I almost got uh, hired at an entertainment news show back when I was in high school. Somebody for one of those major entertainment news shows, uh, reached out to me because I had broken a story about a celebrity before TMZ had, and they were like, how did you f find out about it? And I said, well, I just searched the person's name on Twitter and I was keeping a uh, tabs on their sightings. And it's really that simple. And they offered me a job, but they said, I have to move to California. And I told them, nope, I'm staying on Long Island. And <laughs> maybe my life would have been much more exciting otherwise. But uh, I always get offers like that. So hindsight's 2020. Um, so how did you think of having Spencer be the main photo for great question, honey, your site or Twitter? It's, it's kind of funny since I, um, I want to convey the fact that I was a guy. So instead of using a, a picture of Lindsay or Brittany or any of them, I thought, okay, who were the biggest male celebrities of that era? There was Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, George Bush, Mel Gibson, and then Spencer Pratt. Wow. So I decided, you know what? Spencer Pratt is probably... <laughs> 
the one I want to go with. I love that image of him in the, the cowboy hat on the I hill. Know, so I went with that. Of but all the when images. I, when, people, when people meet me, they always say, oh, you look completely different because they, they don't realize it's you, Spencer. So they keep expecting to meet you pretty much. Interesting. That's so funny. That's so funny that people always thought it was Spencer's site. I know you guys had talked about that previously. Who do you think is the ultimate celebrity from 2009 besides Spencer Pratt? No, and I wasn't ultimate. I was just male. I like you. Right, Let's not right. change up the words. Who do you think is the <laughs> ultimate celebrity from that early 2000s era? Um, or was? Or you could pick either Britney or Paris, you know, it's kind of a boring answer since they're the ones that are always now relitigated and talked about all the time, but really no, and nobody else was bigger than them. I mean, Britney, of course, had a legitimate career that had brought her to that level of celebrity. Paris is just a fascinating case study. I, to me, she is the most interesting celebrity or public figure of the last 20 years. I think she is just write for a million books. Well, it's interesting if you see where both of them are now too. Paris is still grinding and thriving. I mean, she like is still an it girl. She is still basically where she was in the early 2000s, just a different status and international and DJing, but she is still Paris Hilton. She looks the same. She somewhat sounds the same. I know she's incorporating her regular voice and has talked about that. But when you look at her, I could easily think I was looking at Paris from early 2000s. Her um, her presence is very similar. Yeah, I have to give it to Paris on one thing. She does look a lot a lot similar to the way she did. She, despite the lifestyle and everything else, she she's held up remarkably well. Um, especially when you compare her to the peers at the time, uh, some of those other girls not looking, you know, the, their best, but Paris still, still the same, still the same wonky eye. It's everything's there. Um, but I think Paris always fascinates me the most because of the level of celebrity she did achieve. People always say that there were socialites and, uh, and people that fill that, uh, famous for being famous category in our culture. And they point to like somebody like Jaja Gabor or Cornelia Guest or somebody like that. But what Paris did was she became the most famous woman in the world for a point in time, simply from going to parties, which is an incredible thing to think about. Since Jaja Gabor was never this inescapable celebrity figure. She was this quirky, you know, person who would pop up every now and then. Paris was the biggest star in the world for a split second. And that is just insane. It's mind-boggling. Mind-boggling. I remember when she had gone to jail and there was that uh, whole uh, controversy with her being let out and then having to go back and there was this entire mob of cameras outside of her house, helicopters swirling around just in a disaster area almost. And Dominic Dunn, the writer comes up and he's observing everything. And he says, well, she is the most, you know, famous woman in the world from going to parties. And that's a great career. And I've always thought of that because it's true. Who was more famous than Paris Hilton? No one really. 
And then when you look at how she got to that point, it's just, it's crazy to think about. So that's a perfect segue into how important in these 2000s were these clubs and the fact that she was at all the hottest nights every night of the week. And, you know, like you said, pre-social media, these clubs were your TikTok, your Instagram, your Twitter. Like if you didn't go to these clubs, how are you in the tabloids or how are you? I mean, this is even pre-TMZ. No, no, exactly. There was no other way of uh, being seen, really, if you didn't go to the hot spots. Now, of course, you could film yourself from your backyard and go viral. But back then, you had to be at one of the hot places, either the clubs or the Ivy or Kitson or one of these uh, watering holes for the rich and famous. And I think what's also funny about them is they really served as the battlegrounds. That's where everything went down. That's where all the alliances and rivals rivalries were formed. I I was just thinking the other day about uh, that time Paris had gone into a brawl with Shayna Mokler at Hyde and they uh, filed uh, dueling police reports against each other. So the clubs were integral to how that machine worked. That's such a good point. I completely forgot about that because then celebrities had to see each other and you had to deal with each other in the VIP section or wherever. And now celebrities get to be so isolated. Nobody has to run into each other. Everyone has their own worlds. Everyone lives in different places. But then you had to go there. You had to deal with people. It forced that interaction. Especially because so many celebrities are, is the word, incestual and like they're all hooking up with the same people back then. You know, if you blah, 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 was just hooking up a blah, blah, blah. And now they're with this, like they're all in the club together. Whereas now it's in like, you know, sub not even sub tweets. It's like TikToks or IG story, little notes thing that like imply blah, blah, blah is shady. But then it was like face to face, like you said, battleground of who's hooking up with who. Oh, yeah. And I, I always think about how whenever you read a biography of a, uh, a celebrity or a public figure, all of it is comprised of things that they did with other people, these face-to-face interactions. Yeah. That Try is- writing that sort of a uh, book now, and it would just be tweet, 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 tweet. There are no face-to-face interactions anymore. Yeah, that is so true. Who is your favorite celebrity of all time throughout beginning and like throughout the history of celebrities in Hollywood? Oh, God, I could, I could never pick. I, you know, like I said, I have always loved movies. So even above the tabloid stars that uh, I grew up on and dedicate my uh, internet presence to, even above them, I, I there are certain actors that I just adore and think about all the time. Uh, one of my favorite actors, which always gets a weird reaction from people, was Robert Blake. Um, <laughs> and people always ask me, is he the real estate guy who killed his wife? And I say, no, he was an actor who also killed his wife. Just different. Um, he was my favorite actor. I watched all of his movies from The Little Rascals onwards. I was obsessed with him. And I always had this idea in my head that one day I moved to Hollywood 
and I would strike up a friendship with him. Like you ever see that movie, The Holiday, with Kate Winslet, when uh, she she uh, meets that industry legend and she's shepherding him around town. And I always thought that would be me and Robert Blake. Uh, we just wouldn't <laughs> eat Italian, but uh, he passed this year, so now I need to pick a new one. But uh, there are so many actors of that era of the sixties and seventies that I just adore. So. Back to the club. So when, before you got on, we called Nick Montalegro, who was a big time nightlife guru in this era. And we went through the week. I already forgot what it was, but it was like Monday, Joseph's, Tuesday, Element, Wednesday, you say Lobby, Thursday, Teddy's. Oh, do you do you know the, all these spots like by name that were popping? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know uh, all, all of them. I know where they were. The first time I ever visited L.A., I had a list of all the different places where these clubs used to be. And I went to all of them. And it was like it, touring the ancient ruins. Like some <laughs> of them were just in terrible shape. I went to Ledoux. It was just boarded up. You know, whatever had come after it was already out of business and it was boarded up and, you know, broken glass. It, it was a tragedy. It really was. That really seems like the end of an era in Hollywood, though. I mean, that was the end when everyone was going out. I feel like now nobody, I don't see any celebrities out. What do you think, um, where did the kids go? Where did the kids go? Where did the young Hollywood <laughs> celebrities go now? Anywhere? David well, Dobrik's house parties. <laughs> I don't know. Look like you know. Mostly it's private bomb. parties now. Like like you said, um, the era of the bars and the clubs has really come to an end. And it's not just in Hollywood, but I mean in New York too. Um, in, in a lot of places, these cities are just being overtaken by uh, developments, condos. They're just being bought out and raised to the ground and built in these tacky glass high rises. I mean, the last time I went to LA, it was indistinguishable from New York City. Um, so, and one of the great things about LA was that it was a city for, for a long time that had preserved its physical history. You could see these buildings that had been around for so long as opposed to New York, which was always just building and then rebuilding LA had always uh, been proud of its history. And now you see all the time, just another historical building going down. Another bar or club is being shut down and uh, turned into a part of a high rise or a condo. Uh, So these physical meeting places are just being erased from the landscape altogether. I guess it was only a matter of time before money took over everything. It's also interesting that that was kind of the last era of celebrities being accessible because they were public figures at that point. Like if you go here or if you're around, you could see, you could have a celebrity sighting. You could possibly see Leonardo DiCaprio out at one of these clubs. It's like now where the heck is anyone going to ever see Leonardo DiCaprio? Like it really took away. Yeah. If you go there. (laughs) There, Yeah. So it's like, it really took away that, um, ability to see Hollywood and be a part of it. Oh yeah. I, I always say that that era that you guys were a part of was the last true era of Hollywood as we knew it. It was the last era where you could see some of that foundational glamour. Yes. It had been uh, twisted into something else by that point. 
with reality television and uh, these uh, cheaper celebrities in, in a sense. Um, but you could still see the, the, the bare bones, the red carpets, the lights, the glamour and all of that, that ended quite literally when the Hills ended, I, it, it really just has gone away completely. And that's why when people ask me, well, do, are there any celebrities you follow now? Or is there any uh, stories that you care about now? And I always had to tell them no, because the big part of what had always drawn us to celebrity gossip was being able to go into another world. Was that escape? Uh, to uh, drift off into a place that was sunnier and uh, where skies are bluer and the people are more beautiful and tanned and blonde and perfect and glamorous and all of that. Now that doesn't really exist anymore since we know every corner, every crevice, uh, what people look like without makeup. We, we see the, the ongoing Instagram lives and the videos and the pictures and the iPhone selfies that just flatten everything into this, ugh, you know, garish looking thing. 2000 to 2009 and, and 10 was really the last uh, dying gasp. Amen. <laughs> yeah, there's such oversaturation. That's what we always say about even like our setups, our paparazzi photos. We, the reason they were so successful was first of all, tabloids were around then because that was the only way people could get celebrity news instead of just going on their Instagram. But also we had such a niche because now people are doing all these like cheesy setups that we were so berated for. We were, you know, ostracized for setting up all these paparazzi photos and doing this when we were actually making money on it. And now, like you're saying, you go on TikTok, Twitter, you see everyone doing anything from A-list to B-list. Like before, you would never see Jennifer Aniston or anybody doing, you know, a yoga pose in the morning on their deck. It's like that was such a thing that was looked down upon. And now it's just, oh, yeah, you know, definitely. an average you guys were ahead of the curve. And that's something I always really respected about you, you two, is that you were always very honest about the idea that fame was a game and you either win or lose and you got to play the game. And you guys have seen, you know, both ends of that spectrum. You've seen, uh, insane fame. You have seen obviously rock bottom, but you've never really asked for sympathy or pity. You've always just said, listen, we played, we had fun and we had a hell of a ride. A lot of other celebrities from that era now <clears throat> are constantly going back and asking us to feel sorry for them. And in some cases, y you know, there is a point it is warranted to a degree, but I mean, they were also playing that same game that you were. They just don't want to admit it. I mean, Lindsay Lohan and Paris Hilton and them, they were setting up paparazzi photos. They were planning stories in the tabloids. They were, you know, they had a line to us weekly, to Ken Baker. They, they always, uh, were playing, but they didn't, they still don't really want to, um, admit to that. They, they still hold themselves in too high of a regard to ever be as forthcoming as you two are. It reminds me of when, you know, like some people now are very public about 
plastic surgery or cosmetic surgery. And then some people still deny it, are denying it. And it's like, okay, everybody's looking at your before and after photo. There is no magic pill that you had here. Like you outgrew, you don't outgrow like nose bones. That just, that's, that's there. So it's the same thing. I, that's so interesting when there's something so public that it happened and like known, but some people still want to. We recently Deny bumped it. into a celebrity who we've heard say, I would never get fillers, da, 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 and her lips were very large. And Heidi's like, did you get new lips? And she's <laughs> like, yeah, what do you think? And Heidi's like, they look amazing. And, and we're like, huh. You know, it's just so, I bet you're not going to talk about these new lips on anything, but yeah. they're very apparent. It is what it is. Yeah, people, they look great. People are entitled to keep secrets, I guess, and that's, lie about that's, things. That's true. That's very true. Um, so now I just am so sad we didn't go to the club more once we were famous. We were, yeah. We didn't. Like Brody went out. Like yeah. He talks about it. They went out every single night. Peak fame. Like we didn't go out. We should have had bodyguards and we should have gone to the club and like. The Hills we, would have been so different if we had actually gone back out in the club because when we were there, I mean, it became a point too, though, where Lauren was like, you can't film with them there. So well, like, we should have we been in the clubs without cameras. I'm saying right, we should have like, gone every night. We should have been out doing the Paris Hill and the Kim Kardashian. Oh, speaking of Kim, where, what are your thoughts on Kim and her success? I was going to. Just, you know, her breaking out of all this. <laughs> Don't get me started. Don't get me started. I, I could go on a tangent. Go, to go. All tangent. Um, that's we want to hear. That's why we're podcasting. Well, well before I go, go into it, what you guys were just talking about, it, it reminds me of when you and I had spoken in the past, Spencer, and you had said that you guys almost just didn't want to deal with going out because the the hate and the, the criticisms that you were getting as part of Spidey was just so intense. So, I mean... I, it was a tough situation that you guys were in. Somebody like Brody wasn't uh, being picked apart all the time like you guys were. I don't um, think that's but, why uh, we didn't go out. It was lazy. We're eating pirates booty. I think we were just, yeah, I, the main reason we didn't go out is because we were hustling so hard with like my music and we were in the studio a lot. We, we should have. There's no excuse. We should have hit the club. And it was nice to just like have that time because we were working so much. Like the only time we were able to just be and be normal and like have a moment together was... No, no, night for our level so. of hustle, like that, we missed that yeah, boat. We should have gone going. out more. Yeah, like, I'm just thinking about it. Like we only should have gone out more. Yeah. Anyway, it's because okay. we didn't live in Hollywood. I think I think it was just nice to just have. I know. A we should have. should have hustled harder. Honey. All right. Well, we're together and everything's <laughs> great. So, anyways, I want to hear about Kim. Let's <laughs> okay. let's hear this. Um. Well, the thing about Kim is, people always ask me about her. Um. And they always ask me if I <clears throat> respect her trajectory and how she came from nothing and turned herself into a big thing. And I always just, I, I want to engage, but I don't because I'm going to sound like the most annoying person in the world if I get into the, the nitty gritty and start picking things apart. But I mean, she didn't come from nothing. I mean, she was a... In the, she was part of the, the same circle as Paris and Nicole. She grew up with them. She was part of an affluent world. She wasn't, you know, Kim Smith from Nowhere USA who just stumbled into the, the big city and was awash by the lights. I mean, she was part of this very uh, privileged and rarefied orbit. And 
through desperation, just kept trying over and over and over again for years until finally something stuck. People always say it was the sex tape that made her a big star. I, I always disagree because really who, who gave a shit about that tape when it came out? I, I mean, I always, I, I, I've spoken to, you know, several people who were involved in the release of that tape. Uh, I've interviewed them and Every person I've spoken to, I've always asked, okay, well, in your opinion, was the tape a big uh, success at the time that it was released or years down the line? And when I phrase it like that, all of a sudden a light bulb goes off above their head and they start to think, well, more of the, the latter. It, it didn't become the, the thing that it became until several years after its release. But when it came out in 2007, sex tapes were played out. Every D-lister uh, was churning them out. The Paris tape had really just changed the game entirely. Before that, it was very rare for uh, this private celebrity video to become public. There had been Pamela Anderson, sure, but her tape had come out still in the era of physical tapes of VHS and then dial-up internet. So it wasn't this instantaneous thing like the Paris Hilton video was when you could just go online hit download and, you know, give it 10 minutes and you would have it. So once that Paris tape happened, everyone was trying to make one. You had China, you had Dustin Diamond, you had reality TV contestants. Every Everyone was trying and to grasp at that sort of Paris Hilton fame and failing. So then Kim Kardashian comes along and she tries the same thing. And when you really think about it, why would it have worked better for her than any of the others? And it really didn't. It, it wasn't this big sterling success when it had first come out. Nobody was really talking about it or cared. She was not on the cover of Us Weekly like Paris was for hers. She was not on the cover of any newspapers. It was not being discussed on the nightly news. When that Paris statement happened, it was everywhere. It was on the cover of the New York Post and the Daily News. It was the cover of Us Weekly with, a, you know, I think a six or seven page cover story inside. It was being talked about and mocked on every late night show. It was a massive story. When the Kim thing came around, well, like I said, the landscape had changed. Nobody really cared or was shocked by these sort of things anymore. And there was the, the factor that we all knew that it had been staged and set up with the Paris thing. The, the, the blurry, grainy night vision, you could still buy into this idea that this was something that had been stolen from her and leaked against her will. With the Kim thing, it was obvious that her and Ray J had been preparing, lighting, makeup. It, it was indistinguishable from just your average porn production. And if you look at any of the magazines back then, and of course I have a very big, vast archive of them, it's never really mentioned. It's... It got a quarter of a page mentioned in Star Magazine, Deep Inside, and In Touch, but it was not mentioned by any of the, the real newsmakers. Us Weekly didn't care about it at all. And as you guys know, Us Weekly was where you wanted to be if you wanted to be a star back then. So that didn't really pan out. And months go by. They had already had a deal for a reality show with E. They had uh, struck that deal sometime in the spring of 2007. But production didn't start until late July because uh, The Simple Life had been canceled and E needed a filler show. Originally, it was going to be a show involving uh, Lindsay Lohan's family that was supposed to be called Momager. 
and it was about Dina Lohan, Lindsay's mom, and her efforts to make, uh, you know, stars out of her children. But as that was being developed, Lindsay got arrested for a DUI a second time, just days after she had gone out of her, her uh, second stint in rehab. And everything was put on ice. So needing a replacement show, E! Greenlights the Kardashian Project that had been sitting on the shelf for months because nobody really cared about Kim's tape, so they didn't have any reason to rush it into production. And they start filming immediately. Eventually, that low-hand show does go into production uh, around the fall of 2007 after Lindsay gets out of rehab for the third time. And that show airs in 2008, and it's called Living Lohan. But by then, the Kardashians had already been on for a season, and there was just really no uh, purpose. But finally enough, there is that moment in the uh, the first episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians where Kris Jenner utters this quote that's now uh, become iconic in some internet you know, memes and gifts and all that. And it is, as her mother, I was uh, disappointed or something, but as her manager. So Kris Jenner had gladly assumed this role that had been intended for Dina Lohan. But that is really the trajectory of the early Kardashian empire, quote unquote, as I tell it. Um, Of course, that is disappointing to people because people are attracted to these overnight stories of success. And the Kardashians, even with the show, even with the tape and everything else, they still didn't really become household names until 2009-ish, after the show had been on for a couple of seasons at that point. And the sisters had already been on other shows, like uh, Kim had been on Dancing with the Stars, and Chloe had been on The Celebrity Apprentice, and they were constantly doing these tacky endorsement deals and, you know, stage paparazzi photos and all of this. So it really had taken years before they had achieved uh, the ubiquity that they later would. But people don't really talk about that. They always just think, okay, it was a sex tape and she was an overnight star and eclipsed Paris Hilton completely. But that's not really the case. I mean, Paris was still much, much bigger, much more famous than Kim was for a couple of years after that. But it was a slow and gradual change, and it really has more to do with the culture of uh, social media and all of that than it really does uh, the supposed business acumen of Kris Jenner or Kim or any of them. And I don't really think that they're great business people, contrary to the popular narrative. But I'll stop myself because I'm going on a spiel and nobody cares. No, I do care because it's so interesting because I always try to figure out because we were so much more famous than them mm-hmm. and how we fell off and they were able to sustain it. And I always go back to, they just had Comcast that just kept airing them. No matter how bad the ratings were, they just kept getting a show. So they kept being TV stars. And I always say to Heidi, if Viacom had just wanted to stay in the Spidey business and just let us be on freaking a conglomerate for another eight more years after the Hills, you know, our, I feel like we would have, that was the missing link. Like not all these other things at the end of the day, they had a conglomerate that was like, you know, we'll keep them on like the weather channel or, or like they're almost like the access, you know, when I was younger, it was always like on no matter what, like, like access TV or you're not, not the show access Hollywood, but like the random local thing that was just there. And that's what the Kardashians I feel like turned into for that network. And so no matter what, Things I always try to like dissect, like what could we have done different to like end up 
Kardashian rich and famous. And I'm like, we just didn't have a conglomerate. But also they made them all likable. Like you watched them and it was very neutral. So yeah, they all had like highs and lows and they were fighting. But at the end of the day, they made them all likable. And that was the difference with our show was that there was a narrator and that there was, um, you know, a, a, character everybody had to play and they it wasn't necessarily likable for anybody on the show but I feel like there was a feel-good family show at the end of the day like they're going through things and then they dived into pop culture you had Chloe who went with Lamar Odom and you had um you know Kim even before was connected to Paris Hilton and that was alluring to people and then you forget their dad was this really successful guy so they had a connection to OJ Simpson and one of the most famous trials in the world so They had the fame and we always used to hear from Kim because we would run into her all the time at all these events before, um, you know, she was well known. And they said she would go to the opening of an envelope. Literally, she was at everything, several different places a night and never drinking. She's one of the most serious, strategic people. And it's just that consistency of showing up. And she's really good at schmoozing, basically, you know, like getting people's contacts and, oh, great, let's meet up and let's do this. So at the end of the day, you get those people on your side and behind you, and then you're you're making deals next thing you know it. And then you're all working together. So the family really work together. And when one person had a juicy storyline, the next one did and that hustle. And they definitely did a little bit of a copy paste of like our setups, you know, so then they were like, great, we'll get a contact here and there. And let's do a setup of us doing this photo. And that's when the magazines were looking for people to do setups because it was harder to get an A-list photo of Brad Pitt doing something. But if you had somebody on TV within that realm with a photo setup that you can just put on the blogs and put everywhere. It just made life so much easier for everyone. So they just had everything going for them at the right time and that consistency and that hustle. I feel like. I think you guys just uh, hit on, you know, a few really crucial points. Um, what Spencer had been saying about how they had this TV conglomerate behind them. That is very true. And a, a big point I always like to stress is they had connections, uh, from their father. I mean, their father, Robert, people always think that he was this big lawyer. He wasn't a lawyer. He worked in the music industry for a long time. He was a businessman. And one of his closest friends was, was Irving Azoff, who is one of the most powerful men in music. So it didn't really matter, you know, anything else because they had these connections in their pocket. And as opposed to other reality stars like uh, you guys or the Jersey Shore, which was getting double, triple the ratings that the Kardashians ever did. I mean, that was a huge phenomenon. Duck Dynasty and John and Kate Plus Eight, they were getting triple the ratings of the Kardashians, but they didn't sustain it for, uh, you know, one, they were not part of this privileged little bubble that the Kardashians were. They didn't have these high powerful people in the industry, helping them every step of the way. You know, even you guys like Spencer, he grew up in LA that he still didn't have these powerful people in his corner. Right. But the Kardashians were just at another level of privilege and power. Right. Yeah. And then also, I was going to say like, if we had Irving Azoff to ever call and ask for advice when we had like, cause there was a lot of things where I didn't ever look at each other and just be like, what should we do? Like, it was like, let's throw something on the, you know, like we right. never had 
like a real mentor in the game. Like our only mentors were a uh, tabloid, uh, tabloid <laughs> photo editor or a paparazzi agency owner. Like those are the people who are running our right. ideas from. We have Irving Azoff, like the goat of the game. Yeah. And I mean, the, the girls, they grew up next door to uh, the Jacksons and they were friends with the Jackson family and they lived uh, near Guy Oziri, Madonna's manager. So they met Madonna. I mean, they, they had powerful people all around them. So there was never really going to be a way for them to not be even on the fringes of the spotlight, as opposed to other reality TV stars, whether it be the housewives or team mom or this one or that one, who would have to fight with their life to get into that bubble. Also, what um, Heidi had mentioned about the likability factor, The Kardashians was a show that had really started to gain popularity post-recession. And even though they were affluent, even though they were part of this LA lifestyle, they were still much more toned down and Brady Bunch-like than Paris Hilton and her family were. I mean, Paris Hilton was the the image of tacky... 21st century luxury. I mean, diamonds and designer this and designer that. The Kardashians, for the most part, were much more muted, especially in the earlier seasons. And that really uh, went a long way in these years that the uh, country was in this economic downturn. And like you guys said, there are just so many different factors playing into it. So it's why I get a little frustrated when people always say, well, it just comes down to the fact that they were shrewd business people. Really, everything comes down to luck. Luck, you know, will make and break every person. And they just were very lucky. Yeah, that was meant to be for them. Lucky (laughs) God's favor. Little luckies. Yeah. Stupid jets. (laughs) (laughs) So I know you don't follow, um, you know, there's nobody famous anymore. Da, 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 da. I agree. And I understand everything. But we're over here now asking all of our guests our new little mm-hmm. thing Heidi kind of came up with that I love. It, how in, Spidey's 16th yeah, minute. How do we extend in your vision, knowing the game, knowing the old school tricks? If you were our publicist, agent, manager, what are some things, some moves that, you know, we could bring back? vintage techniques using modern platforms how do we get the 16th minute popping again and get get relevant what's what's the what's some moves you got some ideas well i think and we we talked about this before if you if you remember when we had lunch a, a while a while back i had said that the the next frontier for the the Hollywood celebrity was politics. And this was in the first or second year of Trump's term. And you were starting to see all these different celebrities sort of wading into the political world. You had the, you know, the Kardashians, for example, they were now getting more outspoken and Kim decided all of a sudden that she was going to be a lawyer and met with Trump at the White House and all that. That is, I think, one of the big ways that you could extend your celebrity if you so choose. And actually, I think you guys were ahead of the curve since you were talking about that all the way back when. I, I was reading in Us Weekly interview that you guys had done back in, I, I think, 2007. And Spencer said that he was studying uh, political science and that he wanted uh, you and you guys to become the new uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Maria or Bill and Hillary. 
Um, so I think you guys were ahead of the curve a little bit, but if you had pursued it, who knows? Maybe that would have been the, the big way to extend your fame. Dang. Dang it. We're on what it. about now? Yeah, what about, uh, what about now? It's never too, How can we yeah. You can always mobilize a, a following. It's never too late. You've just got to find the right hot button issue. And, you know, as you see, all these different people from the A to the Z list it is interjecting about something now. So there's always a chance. Always a chance. But no recommendations. <laughs> <laughs> I'll gladly be, I'll gladly be your, your campaign manager, Spencer, if you choose to ever run. All right. Well, there you go. Spencer did complete his political science degree and ready for politics. Get in there, honey. I just don't think we could hit the same reason why we don't tour for you. I just campaigning. I don't see us being able to hit that, those streets the way we need to. Can't you campaign from... We need another. We need another pandemic. Now? We need another pandemic, and then we can't. You, you probably the could. Pandemic. You probably could. You see a lot more of of candidates just sitting and talking into you know the webcam or the phone or whatever. There so you go. it's not impossible. We need to move to a state that has way less voters. Great. I like Montana. You know something like huh? there you go. Wyoming, Arkansas, Wyoming. I could. Easily move. Okay, well, political career, here we go. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time and your knowledge, your expertise. Thank you for making that um, Twitter and everything and website and having it be Spencer's beautiful face. I'm still so thankful. And then when can we, are you going to come back once you this project you've been working on? Or is this something we can reveal on the podcast? Should we tease it? Is, oh, absolutely. I'll keep you in the loop. That's very exciting. All right. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm intrigued. And then for everybody, they need to go back and just scroll the IG. Did you delete tweets? Um. Maybe. I, I don't know. It, okay. it depends. I couldn't find them all, so I kept trying to find them all so maybe okay. maybe just because x is now twitter and now there maybe there's a little glitch yeah a lot me. of these uh, platforms um are getting a lot like stricter with certain things that you can and can't post oh. i mean tumblr for example took down so many of my old posts because they were uh, explicit content or this or that so there, there's so many problems now with just posting in general but and that's how history is reshaped. And they say, you know, because it's being deleted. Look at all that history is actually being deleted from the record books. And some people will never know. So what a, what a bummer. Real quick, how many tabloids do you have in your collection right now? Um, well, my collection goes all the way back to the 70s. So wow, definitely in the thousands. Oh. Where do you keep them? Uh, in uh, literally where I sleep. It just shelves and shelves and shelves and shelves. <laughs> you must dream of tabloids. Oh it's the first goodness. thing I see when I wake up, the last thing I see before I go to bed. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you to everyone for listening to Spidey's 16th Minute and make sure that you check out Pop Culture Died in 2009. Thank you so much for having me. You know, thank I love you, you guys and I, I respect you so much. So, Right back at you. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. 
You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.